Hello and welcome to the Spine Talk podcast, brought to you by Texas Back Institute. For more information about Texas Back Institute, visit www.texasback.com. Hello, I'm your host, Philip, and today I'm joined by Dr. Akwesi Boa and Dr. Thomas Gustowski. Both are neurosurgeons here at Texas Back Institute. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Dr. Boa, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I've been here at uh, the Texas Back Institute since September of 2016, and I'm a practicing uh, neurosurgeon here, and I guess for all intensive purposes, I may have been one of the first uh, uh, general uh, neurosurgeons to join the practice. Awesome. Thank you. And Dr. Kostowski, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, uh, I'm a practicing neurosurgeon at Texas Back as well. I actually... I followed uh, Dr. Boa from Johns Hopkins, and uh, two years later, I joined the Texas Back Institute as well. So did you all know each other before uh, coming to Texas Back Institute? Kind of, kind of. But he did did literally follow me. Kind of (laughs) weird. Johns Hopkins, I was a fellow there, and he was... uh, he was actually a fellow too, right? You were Info, at uh, yes. yeah. an Infold fellow yep. at that time. All right, so the topic of today's podcast is concussions and brain injuries. This has been a really hot topic recently, especially in contact sports. So let's jump into some of the questions here. What is a concussion and what are some of the short-term and long-term effects uh, on the brain after a concussion? So I'll give you the medical definition for a concussion. It's basically a clinical syndrome characterized by immediate or transient alteration in brain function, including alteration of mental status and level of consciousness resulting from mechanical force of trauma. More or less, it's basically just the brain getting stunned from the mechanical forces of some sort of impact on the brain. Um, you know, the way that I that the brain functions or kind of is sitting inside the skull is that it's swimming in fluid called cerebrospinal fluid and so the brain is moving and is dynamic within the skull when you have some sort of impact against the head what ends up happening is that the head or skull first slams and then in a delayed manner the brain moves as well afterwards so with that occurring the brain basically moves along the base of the skull and hits against the skull and then sometimes can also recoil back and this is called the coup contra coup injury okay so more or less when we think of concussions it's just mechanical forces from impacts against the head and with the brain hitting the skull inside hmm. so uh soothing when you speak about people <laughs> bashing their heads i think also to to piggyback on that the, the key is that it's transient. It is transient. It, it is transient. So when we're talking about things that are long-lasting afterwards, uh, you may not you may not be dealing with a concussion per se. Yeah, so that's one of the things I wanted to talk about is uh, we probably all know somebody who has had a concussion at one point in their life. We see these on um, national TV almost every week, um, whether it be in a sports-related thing or in the news. Um some of these are extremely um, dangerous, it seems like, and uh, sometimes the news plays it off as not a big deal. Um, how should we be concerned about a concussion, um, short-term and long-term? I think there, there are a few things to, to say about that. So for sure, uh, short-term, you know, 
if you look, and I don't like looking at a lot of the, you know, individualized guidelines about concussions, because if you go just on your smartphone or on your computer, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of protocols regarding concussion. Probably the two most popular would be the guidelines from the American, you know, Academy of Neuro uh, Neurology, AAN, and then uh, from the NFL, because that gets the, the most attention. But I'm a parent. I have kids that, that play uh, sports. So if you look uh, amongst sports that have the highest rates of concussions, that would be, you know, soccer. It's higher in girls for whatever reason. You guys are vicious. <laughs> um, rugby. Uh American football, because there's Aussie Roos football uh, uh, as well, which for some reason isn't on that list. So I don't know why. And then uh, and then hockey. Mm, boxing. So boxing, I think boxing gets elevated because of, you know, a lot of the imaging findings, but absolutely boxing sure. and, you know, my t you know, all of the mixed martial arts. But I think short term, if you don't, all of us that at least are, are there, especially if you're a parent or a coach, you have to have, uh, you know, a tool available and medical professionals at least within arm's reach for this specific problem because this is going to happen at one of your games. And it's very important to follow the guidelines so that you don't miss what happens. I know the protocol for the NFL is a little different because these are basically athletes and specimens, but for the average child, short-term it's very straightforward in terms of the six steps that they want you to take in terms of, you know, assess the kid and they ask you, you know, a very specific set of questions called Maddox questions. That guy was a, he was an Australian neurologist watching people play Aussie rules football and bashing their heads all the time and saying, hmm, I think I need to study these people, see what happens to them. So you, right, you get them out watch them for at least 24 hours, which is actually the official guideline, and then slowly escalate back into to full full contact of whatever that sports, you know, activity was. And that's kind of concerning in the short term, isn't it? Because it's like, man, how do you know what we're going to be dealing with, with later? But for short term, absolutely, you need to be educated so that you can realize what, uh, you know, what's going to happen and kind of how to how to go about it when, when you do see it. Yeah, as Dr. Boy had mentioned, you know, one thing that's important is that uh, the symptoms don't always correlate with the severity of the pathology. And so uh, I think that just starting off, uh, it's important to have a low threshold of having concern for concussion. And concussions, I mean, you know, in general, there's a wide spectrum of the grades of severity um, from just minor kind of impact on the brain, which is not going to even have any radiological uh, findings, or you wouldn't see anything significant on MRI or CT, to something significant like major contusions, bruising on the brain uh, with, with blood actually inside the brain or outside the brain. Um, you know, when assessing injuries uh, and concerns for concussions uh, on the field, it's one, very important to figure out was there any sort of loss of consciousness, and two is to just see what their neurologic exam is, more or less in terms of are they wide awake, are they drowsy, are they confused. If there's any even concern of confusion or 
or level of alertness, that's something that definitely you got to take them off the field yep. and and even escalate their care by taking them to the hospital for evaluation. If you look on uh, some of, I'm going to keep using the NFL because it's the most you know, it's the most popular sport in this country. But if you look at, you know, some of the protocols and some of the things that people have to do on the sidelines, what Dr. Kostowski was just mentioning is called a no-go in terms of having an altered, you know, mental status or a uh, level of consciousness, you know, a gross neurologic deficit, amnesia, uh, so on and so forth. But there's a very rigid protocol. And it's actually interesting if you look now um, – at, at these games, I think on average, like an NFL season has over 300 games uh, amongst all teams, including the, the Super Bowl every year. And at every one of those games, you have, uh, you know, uh, what are called UNCs, and it's called, uh, it's an abbreviation for Unaffiliated Neurotrauma uh, Consultant. And, you know, I think, you know, we were heavily involved in this when I was in residency and at a time in, in fellowship. But basically, you have people who are just basically independently hired by the NFL and teams even have their own now, but basically to watch mm. the game and watch for collisions. And now there are tents on the side, you know, of the field somewhere close by specifically for that in case somebody misses something like that and so what he was just describing i mean there's a whole algorithm set forth now uh to evaluate further yeah but just simply putting it it's like the saying goes when in doubt sit them out yep. so does any concern you don't want to put them back on the field because also an initial trauma could have repercussions but if there's secondary traumas kind of repeat traumas that can compound on the initial trauma and make things much worse um, and make the situation much more severe. So if there is concern of some sort of significant impact to the brain, you just got to give the brain some time to recover and, and have that player off the field. Yeah, Absolutely. So we, as you mentioned, Dr. Boa, they have these tents set up with consultants and they uh, we've even seen um, some specially made helmets for um, especially some of the quarterbacks where it can tell how much, you know, uh, trauma has happened mm, to the to, yeah. the to the head. Um, in your opinion, has the NFL or has, you know, some of the other leagues put enough emphasis on um, concussions um, and protecting their players both long term and short term? I knew that was going to come up. I knew it. <laughs> I knew you couldn't resist. I knew it. So the... Uh, the official guidelines still don't state that there is any specific helmet that makes a difference. Sure. It's like Dr. Kostowski said, it's, it's really just common sense. If you're really worried about the effects of bashing your head, don't bash your head anymore. Very simple. Now, when you throw dollars at people, that equation changes, but the answer is still the same. Doctor, it hurts, or doctor, I can't remember, I can't speak well, I can't move my arm when I do this, don't do that if that's as simplistic as we can can be. Is enough attention being paid? Um, I guess it depends on what day of the week you ask us because, <laughs> right, it depends on who's being injured, how high profile that player is and, and what has happened. 2011, I remember in training, um, and we're in Texas, so you guys may remember this, uh, Colt, uh, 
from University of Texas, the quarterback. Mm. Was it Colt McCoy? Colt McCoy. Yeah. Colt McCoy. You know, this is when a lot of this stuff really took off. In 2010, uh, Dr. Ellen Bogan, who was at the time the chairman of neurosurgery at uh, University of Washington, um, was on the NFL committee for head, neck, and spine and was going through some stuff with, uh, with Congress about, you know, the NFL trying to suppress their concussion data, which, by the way, is why now it's publicly available. Uh, but it, it really depends on who's being injured. In 2011, when that happened to Colt McCoy, you know, there was a clear, like, horrendous head injury where he was dazed, and then they put him right back in the game within a few downs. I mean, it is getting more attention, but honestly... I hate to hate to go there, but if you think about, like you were asking earlier, some of the long-term effects of this, you know, probably not. Probably not just yet. I don't know if you yeah. feel differently. Yeah, I mean, I think there's mounting evidence more and more of what's called this condition chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which means long-term effects of constant, repeated impacts on the, on the brain. And, you know, the, the NFL has been gathering... Uh, more and more data, um, but I think that it's still underreported. And like Dr. Bo had mentioned, you know, helmets will help to a degree, but they are certainly not the solution. They are not going to prevent uh, a vicious blow to the to the brain, uh, nor will it even kind of uh, minimize or the the impacts of repeated blows to the to the head. I mean. Fundamentally, that's this is part of the nature of the game of football. Is it, it is a high impact sport, and part of the reason that it makes it so fun to play or watch, but at the same time, it is a fundamentally violent sport. Um, you know, I think that we are going to see in the upcoming years even more data to show the consequences of repeated blows to the head and you know I think we're going to eventually have to uh, reconsider how we're viewing these sports I think a lot of parents are becoming more and has more hesitant to send their kids into sports like football hockey soccer because of these concerns and you know I think that we still have to better understand uh, this pathology or this disease process um, but, uh, you know, I think that, look, Dr. Bo and I are, are very biased because we are specialist, surgical specialists in the brain and spine. But, um, you know, the brain is a critical organ. It has such great importance for our kids and their futures. So, um, you know, I think it's very important to... Uh, do everything possible to protect uh, the brain and, you know, make sure that it's not constantly uh, impacted with these sports. I think you, the data is out there, and I don't have it, like, right on top of, you know, at, right at the tip of my tongue. But, you know, this stuff gets it gets a lot of importance because every season, right, at some point someone high profile has to sit out for a week or two because of concussions, Right. And if you just look at, I, you know, the past, like, three years, you kind of take your data in chunks. I think, you know, concussions were, pre I just mentioned, for the entire season, all teams included, Super Bowl included, playoffs, every season about 
330 some odd games, something like that. I think 2017, there was an uptick in concussions. And if you look, they're not reported by team so that you can kind of flag certain practices. And this is the NFL we're talking about. Uh, but then in 2018, went down by over 20% or so. Um, and I think most recently for 2019, it's probably back up. I look at this stuff a lot because it just tells you how, to answer your question, how important it is to the league, right? It's really important. Kind of see a, a steady down, downward slide, steady decline of the incidents, but it's still kind of hovering up around the, the, the same area. And before it really gained any traction, 2010, 2011, how many of these were going unreported? How many now are still going unreported? So, yeah. Just to kind of give you an example of how seriously the players are taking it, it uh, I want to give a shout out to a Baltimore player, uh, John Urschel. And sorry, Cowboys fans, but coming from <laughs> Baltimore, you know, I, I follow the Ravens. Uh, but John Urschel is a great example of you know how seriously the players are really taking I these concussions. And he's a really, really talented football player, um, you know, all-star athlete, but also an all-star uh, academic. Uh, and uh, he was working on a PhD at MIT in mathematics. Mm -hmm. And he, he had played um, on the Ravens for several years um, and extremely talented player. I mean, he was fantastic. But... All of a sudden, one year, he just said, you know, I've played this game for a couple of years. Uh, I am worried about the impact that this is going to have in terms of my academics and just long-term in terms of cognition. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he left the game mm. just just like that. And, you know, that takes a lot of courage to do that. But he realized that having just constant impacts, and he was an offensive lineman, uh, which, you know, they have lots of impact uh, throughout the games. Uh, he understood that there were consequences of this, and if he kept on doing this for 10, 15 years, uh, you know, he might have some long-term consequences. Right. So has the popularity of, you know, or the hype around concussions been more recently over the last few years because of maybe the controversy that you mentioned earlier? Um, or has it been that there are more concussions or is there new data out there showing uh, more about uh, concussions that, that we now know more than we did before? I think I think uh, multifactorial. I think a lot of the hype came from, you know, what was happening, you know, between the NFL and, and Congress. That, got, that really got things going. The, uh, the concussion movie. <laughs> Right, regarding CTE, helped mm -hmm. to bring those things to the to the forefront, and then you know, as as it gains traction, you see you continue to see these stories. We were just looking at you know one of the articles about uh, about Baylor, right? I mean, we're looking at their quarterback who's had a couple, but they recently just had a freshman. You know, I I don't remember Braylon Taylor. They re recently just had a kid retire as a freshman. Mm -hmm. And this was like, a, you know, this is an amazing athlete, wide receiver, and then I believe tight end, and then you're so good you can play defensive end. And, you know, this is Baylor we're talking about. It's not a, a small program. I mean, it's 
it's a lot. It's everywhere. And no matter what program you follow, you are going to see one of, you know, one of the important guys out at some point for, you know, for a concussion. So it it's multifactorial. That definitely the you know the the controversy before helped to bring it to the forefront. But you know, the realization that there are probably some like Dr. Kostowski was saying, there are probably some long lasting effects that we just don't even know about. Mm-hmm. You know, is it's concerning. Yeah, I think that you know with these concussions, I don't think that it's necessarily that the that the sport is getting more violent. I think that if anything. They're, they've taken lots of strides now to make uh, certain impacts illegal, and so they're, they're cutting down on it. But it certainly has now come onto the radar. We are much more cognizant of the potential dangers and the consequences of these impacts to the brain. And being more aware of these types of things is probably only going to help Absolutely. in the long run, I would assume. So um, accidents can cause brain trauma um, among non-athletes. What kind of accidents or what types of accidents um, can cause a concussion uh, for non-athletes? So, yeah, we can talk about this all day it's, you know, with our trauma centers that we cover. I mean, so, you know, we see a lot of car accidents. Uh, Ground-level falls. Mm-hmm. Um, you name it. You yeah. name it. Those are the two probably most common causes we'll see, right? Is people who had fallen at a ground level fall off a ladder, or whatnot, height, yep. or car accidents, mm-hmm. which is why it is so important to wear seatbelts. And we've been talking a lot about sports-related concussions. You know, if you look um, amongst all the different medical societies that represent their respective specialties. The only one that is about a single entity, a single condition, because a concussion is not a disease, it's a condition, it's a state, is the AAN uh, a meeting for sports concussions, specifically sports concussions, where you know, we weren't even talking about all the other things that happen when all these other millions and millions of people you know, strike their heads all the time, and we see the full gambit, you know, People who have, right, basically a sports concussion, which is a transient alteration, and then we see the, the worst of the worst. So, I mean, there are so many different things, but like like he said, the most common for sure for us would be motor vehicle accidents. People drive super fast here, and um, and and falls. Falls can, I mean, right, falls can mm-hmm. be just as deadly as Absolutely. as driving a hundred miles an hour while you're intoxicated. So. Right. And, and as you mentioned, you all both cover trauma at different medical centers in, in the area, and you see this kind of stuff all the time, I'm sure. Are there things that people can do to avoid um, a concussion? Yeah, you mentioned wearing your seatbelt, mm-hmm. something as easy as that um, that we should be doing anyways. Are there other things that we can think about on our day-to-day living that might help prevent um, you know, brain injuries or other types of injuries in that, in that sort? Don't do dangerous activities intoxicated. <laughs> that is probably one of the best pieces of advice. Uh, it might be like the only relevant piece of advice. I mean, I don't even know how many people we see with, mm-hmm. you know, who have violated that that simple paradigm. I think for for us, a lot of times we see elderly patients who have fallen. You know, assistive devices are extremely important as well, um, and you know. 
like he was saying before, you got to exercise a lot of common sense here. If you have somebody that you're worried about in terms of being alone or doing certain activities, you got to help people, you know, do things. We're all busy, but at the end of the day, you know, for us, the preservation of, of human life and its improvement, uh, that comes first. So, so uh, you kind of mentioned a few of these things as far as sports go the other day. Um, while each instance of a potential brain trauma is unique to a patient, um, is there a typical approach to diagnosing and treating these um, conditions? Um, you know, if, if one of us were to fall or have a, a car accident, is there something that we should watch out for, red flags? And then how would you guys treat that in the long run? Yeah. Well, you know, so basically piece of information that I'm always seeking out right away when I'm evaluating any uh, head traumas, one, the mechanism of injury, what happened. Then second is, was there any loss of consciousness? Mm. If there was, that's more significant, okay? Was there a seizure? That's also something that's if if either one of those were present, I'd have a very high threshold or a very low threshold to go to the hospital for evaluation. And then basically the mental status. Is the person wide awake? Are they talking? Are they answering questions? Or are they drowsy and not responsive? If they're on the latter side, bring them to the hospital. You know, I mean, I think that... You just want to have a, a very low threshold to have them actually have a full evaluation and even observation in the hospital. I mean, Agreed. a lot of most head traumas, if they're coming to the hospital and there's any sort of irregular finding, they're being observed in the hospital at least overnight. Absolutely. Absolutely. And going forward, I mean, it's there's medicine involved, obviously, but it's medicine at its core is still good old common sense. If something doesn't look right, someone doesn't feel right, go get it evaluated. Is there anything else in the current research or, or treatment of concussions that, that we should be aware of that the public may, may not know? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, the most important thing is really prevention rather than uh, actual treatment, okay? So, I mean, I think that you, you can have the greatest impact by just taking preventative strategies to minimize the chances of having this in the first place. There's research being done. There's a lot of experimental medications for neurologic trauma, whether it's to the brain or to the spine. But there's still no magic pill that's going to reverse the, the damage. And unfortunately, the, the nervous system is much more sensitive than many of the other organs of the body. And as a result, also very unforgiving, especially as we get older. So the most important thing is to prevent this from happening in the first place rather than treating it and kind of trying to fight against the, the natural path pathologic process that occurs. There's also a lot of research. You know, I do work for the FDA. There's a lot of devices that are being studied in terms of being able to diagnose on the field injuries before you know a person's able to get to the hospital. A lot of stuff is right now under investigation, but still, there's no there's no magic cure uh, to severe trauma to the brain. Some of the uh... The interesting things, I mean, over the past couple of years, eye tracking has become huge. Um, one of my old attendings 
big shout out to you, Uzma Samadani, wherever you are, uh, had developed a company where they basically made what was literally called an eye box for, for eye tracking. And if you look, there are a few different companies who've been on the same, uh, you know, same wavelength in terms of trying to use uh, extraocular movements to kind of see if people um, have a concussion or have actually, you know, kind of the concussion has resolved. Um, it's a very slippery slope because you have to imagine people that you say are good to go, athletes that you want to play. Let's say a week later you do eye tracking, their eyes are still googly boogly, right? They're not they're not going to return. So, uh, but one of them has been approved by. Uh, Dr. Kostowski and the FDA. And I think, you know, in the CFL, uh, you know, they started using basically a computer program where you can, you know, assess baseline cognitive, you know, neurocognitive function and then reassess people on the sideline, like he was saying, basically using an app or a computer uh, sort of thing. And uh, that's, that's taken off pretty that's that's pretty good it's a pretty solid sort of thing even for the untrained medical professional but again people need to have some sort of medical professional around so that you can interpret what's what's your you know whatever it is that you're seeing and whatever the changes are from the baseline right and the cfl you're referring to the canadian, canadian football, football league. league yep you got it and i believe they're going to be talking about that this year at the combine nfl combine um discussing possibly using that in the future which you know, another tool for medical professionals is is always probably a good thing. Yeah, but so. kudos to the NFL Players Association for making sure that there are other people around watching to make sure that if something doesn't look right, it, it, it gets evaluated. Yeah. Well, I know we need to get you guys back to clinic. Thank you so much, doctors, for um, for your time and, and your knowledge on this, this topic. This is a very important topic, and I'm sure that um, awareness will continue to grow in the in the coming years. Um, for more information about Dr. Boa and Kostowski and other neurosurgical treatments, check out our blog at texasback.com. We would love to connect with you. Please join us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and LinkedIn. And also, please subscribe to this podcast for more stories like this. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Spine Talk podcast.